Well, good morning, friends. If you have a copy of Scripture, would you please join me in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking today at verses 1 through 4. We're in our series, The Church That Walks With God. And while you're turning, let me just extend to all of you a very, very happy Thanksgiving. I'm sure that many of you will be spending time with family, as is appropriate, of course. And that's a natural segue for me today, because the text that I'm going to unpack for you talks all about the family. I really love this graphic, which concludes our bumper video. You've been seeing it now for weeks. And if you've been paying attention, you notice there's a hiking metaphor involved. There's people that are going higher and higher, and they're supporting each other as they reach toward the summit. And then it concludes with this particular picture here. And I put on my sermon message title, Our Walk in the Home, Hiking Instructions for the Family. Um, I have been hiking up toward the celestial city, a synonym for the New Jerusalem or heaven, for much of my life since I've come to faith in Christ. And it's been my endeavor as a father and now as a grandfather to try to, by God's grace, bring my family with me. And so our walk in the home could be likened to hiking in the mountains. I confess I'm a mountains guy. Many of you probably don't know that I pastored in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle area, for nearly 27 years, West Sound, Kitsap Peninsula, and not far from the Olympic Mountains to the west, Hurricane Ridge. And then we also hiked east of Seattle in the mountain range there called the Cascades. My wife and I have hiked down in Utah at Zion National Park, uh, Angels Landing. Maybe some of you have been there. We have hiked a portion of the Appalachian Trail on the eastern seaboard, putting in for just a few days on that beautiful trail. And then we've also hiked uh, in the Alps in uh, Austria. <clears throat> My uh, youngest daughter is a missionary and her family supported by our church. And we went to visit them and crossed over the border and had a wonderful time with them in the Alps. And here, here's a picture, you know, home of sound of music. What a beautiful place. One of the blessings of hiking is seeing the vistas that lay before us. I, I would have to confess to you that hiking the Appalachian Trail was probably the most difficult of all the mountains that we have climbed. And that's because there's not switchbacks on the Appalachian Mountain. You go up and down and up and down. And uh, frankly, we had to on occasion cross over these gigantic granite rocks, which made it very difficult. But wherever you go, if you've been into hiking, you know that the picture I put on the screen right now is typical. Rocks and roots and, and ruts. And to me, that's kind of a, a symbol of the challenge behind the scene when we're trying to raise our families in a difficult world. I can almost hear what some of you are thinking as I say that. You would say, oh, Pastor Kurt, you have no idea how difficult it was to get the kids out of the house this very morning. Some of you would say, I was in Meltdown City. I had a heaping bowl <laughs> of panic attack cereal for breakfast. And some of you would say it was like a zoo and all the animals were out of the cages, including me. I can identify, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, bear some of the scars. Parenting is hard. Do I have a witness? 
<laughs> There's a few honest folks here. <laughs> Parenting is hard, and I want to be supportive of you. I'm going to have a special pastoral prayer at the end of this message. But, but today, I, I want to give you hope. And while the Appalachian Trail was the hardest to traverse, it also was the easiest to follow because on the Appalachian Trail, there are white stripes at various locations on trees to show you which way to go. So what I'm going to do today is take you to God's Word and show you the white stripes provided in this text of Scripture to help you on this journey, this trail of parenting. I, I want to be honest, this is going to be a pure Bible message, no pop psychology. There will be no cake mix recipes that guarantee a desired result. I simply give you the Bible. So some of you are children, some of you are parents. Obviously, at one time, everyone here was a child. I want you to listen to our text of Scripture as if you're hearing it for the first time both children and parents. This is God's word to you. What does he say? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the land. And then it switches to fathers, we're speaking, of course, of both fathers and mothers. Fathers, do, do not provoke your children to anger, but rather do two things. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is God's message to you, and I'll spend my time today unpacking what it means and the implications for us in our homes. Two simple directives. Children must be taught to obey and respect their parents and parents must be taught to discipline and instruct their children. That's it succinctly stated. We start with the children. Verse 1 has an action. Verse 2 has an attitude. We are to obey and we are to honor. And we're talking to children. And uh, I want you to know that's an inclusive term all the way from those who are just we little ones to those who are teenagers about ready students maybe to fly out of the nest to leave the home. These words are for all of you. As long as you're under the umbrella of your parental authority, these are God's directions to you. He's very specific here, and I want to give a specific word to my student or teen friends. Can I give a shout out to our youth ministry here at our church? I'm so grateful. We have an amazing youth ministry youth staff, and amazing teenagers in our church. And I'm so grateful. I applaud you, and I thank God for you. But I'm not blind. I know that you have challenges at home with your parents. And I'm, I'm just begging you. It's Thanksgiving, you know, coming up on Thursday. Thank God for your parents. He placed them there by design to protect you, to love you, to give you direction. And God will bless you if you honor your parents, even though right now you don't understand. Someday you probably will, and you'll look back and say, wow, God did give me good parents, and I'm so very grateful for them. Now, obedience, as you can see on the screen, by definition, is doing what we're asked to do when we're asked to do it, and with a right heart attitude. 
You'll be blessed if you obey. This is a reference to the fifth commandment in the Decalogue. Honor your father and mother. Really, Paul almost directly quotes from Deuteronomy chapter, I should say, um, Exodus chapter 20 about this commandment. It, the fifth commandment is the only one that talks about the family. It's the only one that promises you a blessing. There's a special blessing if you obey your parents. Kids, let me say, chances are you'll live a longer life and a more blessed and happy life if you obey your parents in the Lord. But I, I've been around the block a few times, and I realized, quite frankly, there are a lot of parents who are scared of their kids. They're scared of offending their kids. They're scared of losing the affection of their kids. And so they let them do whatever they want. There's a name for that. That's called child-centered parenting. And let me give you a definition from Lou Priello. A child-centered home is one in which a child believes and is allowed to behave as though the entire household, parents, siblings, and even pets, exists for one purpose, that is to please him. So what does that look like? Well, let me give you three descriptions. First of all, that child lives with no consequences. They, they do whatever they want. They clearly sin, and the parents allow them to get away with it. Then number two, there's selfish manipulation. A child reacts in anger, or maybe clams up, or cries to get his or her way. That comes very naturally to children, and they learn very quickly. I, I, I'm blown away by how quickly a newborn baby can figure out dad and mom, how to manipulate them, how to wrap them around their little finger. And early on, kids start getting their own way because the parents are, are scared of, of what the kid is doing. <laughs> Let me give you some advice about these little ankle biters, Okay. These toddlers. I know it's a battle. I know it. I see it. I've experienced it. Hang in there. Your willpower has got to be greater than their willpower. You got to stay on top of the situation. This is humorous, but it's true. An unrestrained toddler is like a blender with the top off. Agreed? Then there's, there's no responsibilities in a child-centered home. Parents do everything for the child. The home becomes a hotel with room service. Parents, kids have to learn to do things for themselves. And they have to experience the consequences of deciding to disobey, do their own thing, go their own way. They have to learn the hard way in their own home while they're under the tutelage of their parents. As Kevin Lehman puts it, don't snowplow the roads of life for your children. And that's good advice. So children must be taught... Scripture says to obey and respect their parents. And then the text goes on to another directive. Parents must be taught to discipline and instruct their children. I'm going to spend more time on this. Now, before we get into the end of verse 4, let me talk about the first part of verse 4, which warns us against angering our children by provoking them, by exasperating them. And you say, well, well, what is that like? Well, let me just share this quote with you. Words are like live ammo in the home. Be careful what you say and how you say it. Here's some ways we exasperate our kids. 
dumping emotions. You come home after a hard day and you bring a toot home with you. And you share that attitude maybe with the family in a negative way. You come home and you kick the dog and you curse the kids and you question your wife. So what did you do all day? Ooh, don't ask that question. You may start World War III. A little insight, your wife has done a lot while you've been at work. If, in fact, she works only in the home, please appreciate her and understand the grace that she provides for you in the home context. Then there's never expressing appreciation for our kids. That can be very disturbing, discouraging to them. I want to urge you to catch your kids doing good and praise them. Yeah, there's a lot of no's, but there ought to be a lot of yeses too, and there ought to be a lot of positive reinforcement where you praise your kids. And by the way, don't just praise them for some achievement like, wow, um, you scored two goals in the soccer game today. Way to go. That's important. But more important are the character qualities of Scripture. Praise them for their kindness, for sharing with their siblings, for their patience, for their love, for their humility. Praise them for what the Bible endorses as more important than something physical by way of achievement. Really important for us to do this. Then we may... Discourage them by demanding adult skills of little ones. You know, act your age. Maybe they are. <laughs> Lack of communication, talk and touch. Okay, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my love languages are, are physical touch, appropriate, of course, and, and words of affirmation. So, in a sense, that's the way I've parented our, our four kids, two boys and two girls. And over the years, I've given tons of hugs and tons of kisses. And if you're around me, you know, I'll likely say to my kids and maybe even to you, I, I love you. <laughs> I don't apologize for that. I do that intentionally. Get close to me. I may touch you and I may say something encouraging to you because that's the way God's framed me. Okay? I've tried to do that with my kids. I've got a girl at the top and a girl at the bottom, two boys in between. And, and God is my witness. Uh, <laughs> all through their years, I have hugged them and kissed them, including my boys. I kissed my boys and hugged my boys and told my boys, I love you, all the way through high school. Both of them are now in their 40s, and I still hug them, and I still kiss them. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, you're really weird, Kurt. <laughs> you know what? I don't care if you think I'm weird. All I care about is that my kids know I love them. And I want to tell them and I want to demonstrate it. And by the way, I can kiss my wife a lot too. <laughs> Conditional love is the next problem. And that's saying, you know, I love you if, I accept you if. Teasing, name calling, never admitting we're wrong. <clears throat> Living vicariously. You know, I wanted to be a D1 athlete. I never made it. So I'm going to turn you into a D1 athlete. Don't go there. Go according to their bent. Try to, don't try to force them into your mold. Overprotecting, never letting them experience challenges that may involve leaving our sight. Showing favoritism for one child over another child in the family. Example, Jacob with Joseph. Remember that mess? And finally, over-disciplining or overreacting. And then we spend a few moments talking about this one. If we are harsh 
and lacking personal, interpersonal relationship, we run the risk of producing only externalism or behavior modification. Yeah, they, they might in front of you do what you say, but when you have no relationship and you're overly harsh behind your back, they'll do the opposite thing. David Eaton, who I've been reading, a, a godly man, says, are you raising a sin confessor or a sin concealer? There is a difference. A teen once told Ethan, and I think this is in the absence of a strong relationship, the stricter the parent, the sneakier the teen. And isn't that the case? Can I be honest with you? Hopefully you've noticed what happens up here in the pulpit at Sadieville Church. We are all expositional in our preaching. But I tell you this, every one of us goes for your heart. We're here to preach to your heart. This message is a message from God for many people. I'm so grateful what God has done so far today and people responding with me. This is a message as the counselor I sense desperately needs to be heard and I'm preaching for your heart. And as a parent, you need to try to reach the, the, the heart of your, your child. Not just be external and distant, but be involved in their lives in a loving way. I, I love Josh McDowell's quote, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. He's right. Now our text in verse 4 goes on, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. So for what should we discipline? Trying to be instructive, practical to you younger parents. I maintain there are three offenses, disrespect, lying, and deliberate disobedience. So how should we discipline? The answer is lovingly and yet firmly. This is the word of God. Now, I didn't write this, but I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit to tell you what God says about child rearing. Here's the verse. It's on the screen from Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son. Let that sink in. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. If they don't respect us and obey us when they're young, they likely won't respect and obey God when they get older. It starts in the home. How do you discipline diligently? Well, realize that spanking is to be used judiciously, probably only up until early grade school. After that, discipline will likely involve the removal of privileges. Now, let me, let me just lay this out as, as clearly as I can because so many people are looking for answers. How, how do you do this in the home? First of all, you sit your children down and you look at them in their eyes and you assure them of your love and you explain what your expectations are. You, you tell them clearly the line over which if they cross, there are going to be consequences. They have to know what that line is. And then you have to thirdly, after you tell them you've crossed the line, follow through with your discipline. This is one of the biggest problems at home. We are inconsistent in our discipline, thus sending a mixed message to our kids. Really important for us, for us to do this. When it comes to following through, and I'm now back on little ones and spanking, the Bible would say... Paddle them on their bottom, 
The rod in scripture is a reference likely to like a, a, a willow branch that will sting. So in our culture, you might use something like a wooden spoon, something similar. You apply the board of education to the seat of understanding. <laughs> Don't yell at them. I want to repeat that. Don't yell at your kids. But rather, firmly tell them what they've done wrong. Explain, okay, I shared to you what the consequences would be. Now I'm going to follow through. Listen carefully. Our children need to associate some light pain with wrongdoing. It's got to be an association. That's why with a, with a young child, you may even have to pull down the diaper so that they associate pain with wrongdoing. And if they're an older child, you have to take away a privilege that will sting. One further step, if you do spank them, you need to, after the fact, show them love and encouragement. You're trying to break their will, not their spirit. That's an important thing to remember. You're trying to break through that resistance against God and against you. Never discipline without explaining the need for forgiveness and the opportunity for forgiveness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to model that same kind of forgiveness spirit by if you go over the top in anger, going back to them and asking them to forgive you. And by the way, if you're in the middle of the process and you begin to realize, wait a minute, I am too steamed, I am too hot, I'm going to respond in over-the-top anger, you need to call a timeout for yourself and say, kids, mommy or daddy will be right back, but I'm going to go pray and ask the Lord to help me. And you go into a closet and say, God, I need wisdom, I need grace, I need spirit control so that I have self-control and I can go back and do this in a godly fashion, not in an abusive kind of way. So important for us. We are to exercise discipline, but we're also supposed to instruct. And that's from a Greek word that means to put into mind the truth of God. Principles of scripture and disciplines of life. And that starts in our own hearts as parents. Do you remember the greatest commandment in the Bible? Jesus quoted about it in Matthew 22. It goes back to Deuteronomy 6. The greatest commandment for us is to what? To love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. That's the greatest commandment. Here's what I want to say to you. Our kids can tell if we're in love with Jesus, if the aroma of Jesus is all over us. They can tell. If we're sour and dour and crabby and mean at home, they're going to blow us off and say, I don't want your God because it's not real. But if they see Jesus in you, they're going to be much more prone to say, I want what you have, the aroma of Christ. Kids can spot a hypocrite a mile away. And so in Deuteronomy 6, Moses goes on to add these words. These words that I command you, and he's talking to parents. These words I command you today shall be where, parents, on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. 
teach and talk, teach and talk. During the opportune moments of the day, teaching moments, look for them. When you're driving, windshield time in the car, when you're tucking them in for bed at night, when they tend to bubble up and you give them some feedback, when you're sitting down for a meal and it's natural to talk, these are the times you have to seize to teach and talk about the Lord. I want to warn you, however, again, I want to repeat, it's important for you to be the real deal. So the question I want to ask you right now, are you at home the real deal? If I talk to your mate, would they say you're real? If I talk to your kids, would they say, yeah, now there goes a genuine follower of Jesus Christ who loves the Savior? Or would they say, no way? A sobering question, isn't it? Are we real? We're not perfect, but we repent, as Pastor Paul said in that song. We repent every day and come back to the Lord. Family life well, I want to put it this way. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. It's true that Christianity really is more caught than taught. I'm talking lifestyle parenting. So let me get real with you in the 21st century. Let me talk to you about smartphone discipleship. Anybody have some questions about smartphones and kids? I'm going to be limited today. We're going to do a module on this in the spring here at the church. In one sense, smartphones are neither good nor bad, but they are powerful, right? They're powerful. If not monitored, they can be as powerful as carrying a live hand grenade. Did you hear me? A live hand grenade in the hand of your child. One Christian expert I've been reading in technology recommends a smartphone curfew for phones in the evening and in the morning. And here's what he prescribed. He said, a healthy curfew is no devices between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, especially if you're a teenager, like, you're crazy. <laughs> you know what? As one of your pastors, I'm responsible to God for what I tell you to try to protect you from the enemy who's going for your soul. And you have no idea how many kids across evangelicalism are doing a stage left, and one of the tools God is using is that little instrument we call the smartphone. Little insight, when your kids go to their room alone at night and no one's around and there's no monitoring and there's no filter in there, what do you suppose as the night goes on they're going to be tempted to look at? Porn. A lot of men in here are indulging porn too. And dad, if you're doing it, you can't expect your kid not to. You need to repent first. Sexting. You say, really? Yeah. Christian kids do that too. Now, maybe, maybe in your home you'd say, okay, we'll stretch it to, to 9 p.m. rather than 8 p.m. I'm, I'm simply saying we, we need to get real about 21st century life in our homes. And by the way, parents, we have to model this. <laughs> uh, control of the phone, I mean. When asked what she would find when she went home, one 13-year-old quipped, I'm going home to watch my parents Stare at their phones. Ouch. We resemble that remark. Okay, 
I'm stepping on toes. I might as well keep on stepping on some more, right? I wish you could see and hear what I see and hear as a counselor. The burden in my heart today goes really deep, really deep. We've lost control of our schedules at home because we're not really home together anymore. Our kids are so involved in so many activities, they're gone most nights of the week. That is not of God. I would say you probably need at least three meals together, supper meals together each week. You say, we can't do that. Our kids are in this and this and this and this. I want to tell you as a word from God, stop it. Don't let them control your home. You're the parent. You be the grown-up and say, enough, time out. We need each other at home. We need the church. We can't sell our souls to be involved in everything as an extension of being a part of the American cultural Christianity. Eating together bonds a family together because they talk together. And when you eat together, allow no cell phones. Because technology brings us close to those that are far away, but it keeps us far away from those who are close. The main thing that we need to instruct our kids about is the gospel. When two sinners, a husband and a wife, come together and marry, and they reproduce, these two sinners produce Sinnerlings. <laughs> Our children are not born with an inclination toward God. Is that a revelation, anybody? To the contrary, they are born with an inclination toward self. They are born with a sin nature, thus they need to be born again. So the greatest thing you can do with your children is to preach the gospel lovingly and live it out as a demonstration that it works. Okay. I've done this long enough to know that some of you are probably thinking some things in your mind right now, going back to like spanking, like, where'd you, where'd you get this DeGraff guy? Folks, I am preaching the word of the living God who created you and created marriage and created the home. And I'm telling you what he says. Now, what you do with that is up to you. But eventually it becomes a matter of obedience, doing what the Lord asks us to do when he asks us to do it and with the right heart attitude. If you think spanking is harsh, think about the ultimate expression of spanking. God took his beloved son who had no sin and laid on him the sin of us all. Your sin and the sin of our kids. And he spanked Jesus. I use it in quotes figuratively to show how he feels about our sin. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. I'm quoting scriptures. Why did he do it? Because the wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Christ's death and resurrection alone have the power to transform us and our children. They need to be saved. The greatest need for you 
is to share the gospel lovingly and to pray that God's spirit will work and draw your kids to Christ. But it starts with you, dad and mom. My question is, are you born again? And is it obvious to your family that you're the real deal? Okay, I, I got to put a wrap here in a moment. I'm going to share a bit of perspective. Parenting is not soon. It's not certain. So we should not panic if we do not see immediate results. Hang in there. None of us is perfect this thing. The, the guy preaching to you today, I readily acknowledge my sins. I've had to go back to my kids and ask forgiveness when I was over the top. Sometimes we just need to take a step back and give God time. My wife Karen and I have made lots of mistakes. We tried to own them. And even at our age, we're still realizing that you never stop being a parent. <laughs> we need direction. We need help. So here are some things that Karen and I try to practice. Karen's my wife. We never stop learning. Never stop learning. Yeah, next birthday I turn 70. Hey, I'm still learning. I want to keep learning. There's a resource up there for you. The Art of Parenting by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. We never stop talking to our kids. We have a family text thread that our family is involved in. And three out of our four kids live a long way away. I got a pastor son in New York and a son in North Carolina and a missionary daughter with her family in Germany. And then we got one local here. And we love each other and we love talking to each other even though we're far apart. We use the text thread and the phone to try to do it. A lot of FaceTime. We never stop talking to our kids. We are emotionally close even though we live far away. Okay, here's where my emotion is going to show today. We've given our kids to the Lord to do with whatever he pleases. Our youngest, our daughter Julia, and her husband Rich, and their three kids, supported by our church, our missionaries to Germany. I alluded to them earlier. They were in the south of Germany. They're now going back on December 17 to the north of Germany, to a city called Leipzig, South of Berlin, a couple of hours, city of 600,000 people, former East Germany, filled with atheists. I know what's happening in the war zone over there and what's happening to Germany with perhaps short supplies of gas because of what's happened with Russia. I'm aware of all these things. You think it's easy to say go? Not easy. You know where my wife is today? She's saying goodbye to our grandkids because we won't see them again before they go back to the field. Julia will come to pay us a brief visit, come back home to dad and mom here in Iowa for a few days. But I just want you to know something. While I love them and I will miss them, I am thrilled they are there because they don't belong to me or Karen. They belong to God. And God can do with my kids anything he wants. So we've been there because cheerleaders, yeah, you go. You've nailed the German language. We know it's tough. But you go back and you serve Jesus with all your hearts. We refuse to idolize having our kids close to us. And by extension, we don't make demands of our kids that live in the States to come home to dad and mom. You better come home or else... For the holiday, we let them be what they want to be and go where they want to go without restrictions. 
It's been years since all of our family has gathered for Christmas, and we won't do it again this year. But we are close in the Lord. We are close online, and we just want them to follow Jesus so we don't put restrictions, you better or else. No. Let God lead them and stop trying to constrict them by your own behaviors. Next, I want to say is Karen and I try to love each other passionately in front of our kids. I told you I'm demonstrative. Kind of coming across today, I would suppose. Our marriage comes before our kids. There's one primary human relationship, and that's the husband-wife relationship, and all other relationships are secondary. So don't you dare replace your spouse with your kids. It's not God's order. The best thing that you can do for your kids is to love your mate. And I love Karen dearly, and I try to demonstrate that, and that provides security for our kids and our grandkids. And then finally, we never stop praying for our kids I've shared this practice with you before. God is my witness. I pray every day for my four children and their spouses and my 12 grandchildren. What do I pray? I pray that all of them will come to faith in Jesus Christ and follow the Lord wherever that leads them. And I pray for the, the ones my grands are going to marry, that they'll marry in the Lord and that they will be saved. I did again this morning. In addition, I want you to join me in praying for the children represented by the parents sitting here in our church today. It is without fear of exaggeration that I tell you right now, and I, I would know because of what I do, there are dozens of parents in our church whose hearts are broken over their kids. Dozens, dozens. They've either already done a stage left after they left the nest or they're in the process of breaking their parents' heart by walking away from Jesus, and the parents know it. We have a ministry, by the way, here at the church, Parents of Prodigals Prayer Meeting, where we encourage the parents to come and pour our hearts out together in prayer for support with those who are in this situation. Raising kids can be the most humbling experience of the Christian life. We need each other, and we need the Lord. I'm going to finish with an illustration. 20 years ago, when Karen and I did the Appalachian Trail thing, just a few days' worth, we were led by our good friend Bill Newman, who, who by the way, his, his trail name is Circuit Rider. He's a single guy in his 60s, and he has traversed the Appalachian Trail 10 times from Georgia up to Maine, Mount Katahdin. And he does it to evangelize. He walks the trail and he talks to people and makes friends and shares Jesus. Glory. What a great ministry. We went with him and uh, a group of people back 20 years ago, 2002. And uh, people choose trail names when they're walking on the trail. And, and one of the guys with our group was named uh, Gorilla Jim. And we, we, we stopped one day to rest as a group and Gorilla Jim decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scale this, these rocks right above where we're, we're camping out here for a brief respite. He, he walked higher and higher without any kind of ropes or any kind of gear, maybe 12, 15, 20 feet, and then suddenly he slipped and fell all the way to the ragged rock foundation below and was horrifically injured. What, what, what would we do? I mean... 
Wilderness didn't have cell phone reception, especially back in 2002 in upstate New York. What would we do? Well, what we determined is that we had to somehow get him to help by assisting him along the trail to get to a place where he could be ministered to by medical personnel. And by God's grace, we did it. And eventually, Gorilla Jim recovered. I want you to take a moment to drink in the mountain metaphor on the screen once again. And I want you to, in your mind's eye, answer the question, where are you on the trail? On the switchbacks, where, where are you? And where are your kids? Are they even on the trail? All of us as God's children, our parents on this hike toward heaven together, and when our Children, now watch this, fall spiritually. We need to carry them to God. Because only God can help them. We're powerless. Salvation's of the Lord. We preach, we live the gospel, but only God can save them. We need to pray for each other as parents, because that's what Christians do. We walk each other home to the summit, home to heaven, praying every step of the way. My pastoral prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different today as a sign of our brokenness and our need for God's mercy with our families. If you would be willing, I'd like you to kneel next to your chairs. On your knees, I'd like you to kneel and pray with me in begging the God of heaven to reach our own children, our own grandchildren, and quite frankly, to change us first. So would you do that right now? And then I'll lead us in prayer. Would you go to your knees? Oh God, we are desperate you're our Father, and you've invited us to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, mercy to help in time of need. And we are in need. Many of our homes are in shambles. And in part, it's due to the fact we're in shambles. We've been faking it, and the kids see it. Forgive us. We repent. Help us to be the real deal, the genuine article. May we walk in the Spirit. Help us to do that. Give us wisdom with our kids. Give us guidance. Give us leading. But God, I pray for the hearts of our kids that aren't saved, that you'd save them even today. You can do it. You're God. You have all power. We beg for your mercy to save our kids and our grandkids. So many grieving families in our church hurting at home. Minister mercy and grace to them right now. And I pray even as we sing that we may obtain that grace and mercy that we're so desperately in need of in this time of need. Thank you that you're a God of all hope and we cling to your promises. And we, we continue to traverse this trail toward heaven, the celestial city, and we beg that you will prompt our children to follow with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and let's sing together.